Hi, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am thrilled, delighted, and honored today to be talking to Dr. Ruth Heydrich. Hello, doc- Dr. Ruth. <laughs> Hello, Howard. So nice to be online with you, all the way from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about Hawaii, whether, whether we all need to move there to, uh, to age gracefully. Um, well, I started out for a run this morning. I got two miles, and it started pouring. And I decided, well, so I turned around and ran the, the second two miles in the rain. But it, the weather, the temperature, you still can't complain. It just builds more character. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, come on out. It's great. Awesome. So for, for folks who, who don't know you and aren't familiar with your story, I have a, a brief introduction bio that, uh, that you sent to me that kind of gives some of the highlights Um that we'll we'll be delving into. So uh, you're you're famous for for being um, I guess breast cancer free for how many years now? Thirty one. Thirty one years. So you you were basically in 1982 at the age of 47 um, diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Yeah. Um, and basically, I think put told to put your affairs in order. Yep. And so thir- 31 years later, I guess your affairs still aren't in order because you're... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I still can't consider it cured because I don't believe there is a, quote, cure for cancer. I really believe that if I went back to eating the way I was before, that those dormant cancer cells would spring to life again. So that keeps me on the straight and narrow. Mm. For so, many other reasons as well, not just the cancer. I found out there were so many other advantages. My gosh, my arthritis disappeared, my constipation disappeared, acne, dandruff. Uh, it, it's just amazing. Oh, my high blood cholesterol. Uh, I was told by Dr. John McDougall, you know, with a cholesterol this high, you are at as great a risk of dying of a heart attack as you are the breast cancer. And here I was running marathons, fit, slim, certainly not the stereotype of a breast cancer patient. And it was such a blow, such a shock, such, it just shook my world to the, the very ground. And then to be told at risk of a heart attack too. So I, it was a teaching moment, as they love to say. I listened to every word and, and did it. Mm. Well, and, and, and since then, since you've been vegan now for 31 years, um, it doesn't seem to have impaired your athletic performance any. Um, you're a six-time Ironman finisher. You've run 67 marathons, yes. including Boston, New York, Moscow, Honolulu. You've run the Great Wall of China. Yeah. <laughs> um, all, all since that horrible diagnosis, and I owe it all to the diet. No question. Right, and I would love you know I want to get into kind of that that combination because I've I've just um, downloaded on Kindle and been reading your book Senior Fitness, which I guess is maybe ah. ten years old now. Is it really? <laughs> Something like that, six or seven, yeah. seven or eight now. Um, I bought it based on the reviews on on Amazon that you know basically told me, well, why not start now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, that's, and senior. That's, 
everybody is a senior, whether you're a senior in high school, senior in university, or a senior at 40. So um, I, I wondered if the title of that book would deter somebody from saying, I'm not a senior. But, well, uh, <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, one of my careers is marketer. And I did feel like like the title of that book. So now I'm about forty uh, percent of the way into it, uh, so I have yeah. a, a fairly good sense of what's in it. I think the title of the uh. book should be, you know, give this to everybody you love, <laughs> be- yeah. you know, before it's too late. Like, it re- yeah. you know, senior yeah. fitness is kind of a mild title compared to really the incredible gift of your your research as well as your personal experience in helping people be not just sort of, you know, healthy, not so, not just sort of, you know, functioning, but mm-hmm. re- really like, you know, squaring that curve to to the point where where 80 doesn't have to be much less vigorous than 40. Hopefully, I'm not quite there yet, but uh... <laughs> I have my fingers crossed. I, it also gives me the motivation just just to keep on pushing and not let those little thoughts that occur to most people as they age, well, you know, you're getting older now. Well, you ought to be taking it easy. Well, here, Grandma, let me get this for you. <laughs> I, I resist that. I say, by gosh, if I push this hard yesterday, I'm going to push harder today. Now there are some effects. There's no question about it. I'm slower. There's, you know, can't help it. It seems like I'm going just as fast, but uh, it, it's not a perfect panacea. But I think, well, we can talk again when I hit a hundred, and I'll let you know. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I, I'll I'll work on being around when you hit a hundred. I'm I'm forty I'm forty eight. So. Uh, uh-huh. Well, so uh, I'm taking I'm taking your advice to heart. Oh, good. Um, you know, and, you know, and you know, I've done a lot of uh, work and reading on sort of hero's journey and spiritual life cycles, and you know, clearly one one of the goals of life is not to be at eighty the way we were at twenty. Oh um, yeah. But you know, so I, I I kind of feel like each each part of life has its own energy has its own challenges and really what you're talking about is having the physical capability to participate to dive fully into all those challenges whether they're physical emotional mental spiritual relational that you know life is always going to be throwing us things for <laughs> our for our development and you don't you know we see so many yeah. you know my mom is uh you know 90 Three or ninety-four. Uh, wow! You know she's she's um, you know fairly unresponsive in a in a chair in a nursing home watching movies. Oh, and, oh. You know it's 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 hard to uh, yeah to see you know and and that the 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 medical malpractice that has been foisted upon her and all of us in yeah. in in that idea that. You know, your diet and your lifestyle have nothing to do. This is just a crapshoot. Yeah, it's really sad how people are misled and that the profit motive and misinformation is is so prevalent. And it's so hard to discount. Uh, most people I talk to are think they know what they've been 
taught ever since they were children, and it's really hard to turn that around. I sometimes wonder how how come I was so lucky. I'm not a genius. Um, I did, always did well in school, and fortunately in graduate school I was exposed to graduate-level statistics and research design, and I credit all that experience with being open to looking at the research studies. So when I was going back and forth right after the diagnosis and first talking to the surgeon and then the oncologist and then talking to Dr. John McDougall who said, change your diet, uh, I was really confused because I'd talk to one side and they'd convince me. So I'd take those arguments and go to the other side and then walk away convinced that that was right. And back and forth for a couple of weeks, thank goodness, I, Dr. McDougall showed me the research that was available even back then, 30 years ago. Some people knew this information was valid. And I was so lucky to have been in the right place at the right time and to be open enough despite all the resistance. My then-husband, uh, when I came home after my first talk with Dr. McDougall and told him what I'd found out, that it's the diet that caused my cancer and it's the diet that can reverse it. I'm not having chemo. I'm not having radiation. I'm not having tamoxifen. Just changing my diet. My ex, now ex, because of his reaction was, I can't believe you've fallen for that quack. Hmm. I gave you credit for more intelligence than that. And boy, when someone insults my intelligence, <laughs> and, you know, that just, uh, oh boy. And my friends, my relatives, um, I, there was total resistance everywhere I turned except for this one man, John McDougall. You know, I owe him so much. And in reading what Dr. T. Colin Campbell has gone through, I, I see the parallels. It, it's so similar. And it's, it's enlightening that more people are maybe getting this information out and then it, the ideas can grow. That's my only hope, that, that by telling people... This is what you need to know, and here's the proof. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm struck by how different things were in 1982 than they are today, just in terms of the internet. And oh, yeah, you know, yeah. someone, you know, you, it was you surrounded by naysayers and one doctor who may or may not have been crazy, you know, yeah. and, and everybody you, thought he was. People still do, yeah. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. He's he's outliving all his critics, but uh, that doesn't stop them from yeah, reading. Yeah. Um, but you know, to kind of you know, kind of go with your ability to to read a research study and evaluate research design, and I'd love to get a little bit more into that in a little bit. But also, I'm 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 imagining there was just some degree of gut feel like this just makes sense more than more than the people yeah. who can't help me. Yes. Uh, because Dr. McDougall, when I, he said, well, tell your oncologist to show you how the chemo and radiation extends lives or, or helps with the cancer. And I went back to my oncologist, who, by the way, died of a heart attack at age 45. I would watch him in his office and lean back in his chair and see this big belly 
and and just kind of shake my head. It, it's too bad that he's not listening because this is another doctor who has the information. But anyway, he couldn't come up with any. He just scoffed at the idea that I would want to see any data because he was so convinced that chemo and radiation are what you do when you have cancer. And, of course, tamoxifen back in 82 was still a research drug. They weren't sure what it was going to do. And he offered me the opportunity to enroll in a study that was being done at several of the cancer research centers. And so I I thought, uh, should I help with the research? Should I help show? But Dr. McDougall pointed out, you know, we want, and this is a bit of reductionist thinking, we want this one variable, in your case, diet. We don't want it confounded with these other variables, you know, like chemo, radiation, and other drugs. Um, as it turned out, it, <clears throat> it isn't reductionist in that the whole food plant diet is, uh, has affected all these different aspects of, the, of human health including fighting off the cancer cells. Right. So, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, you, you could have been a, um, a statistic in a study on tamoxifen. Instead, you've turned into, I'm not sure what, you know, to some people you're sort of an anecdotal case. So yeah, oh, some, yeah. Someone who sort of, you know, and, and to anecdotal cases are wonderful when they, especially when they contradict prevailing wisdom, where, you know, any uh, researcher or, or medical practitioner with an ounce of integrity would look at your story and say, huh, there's something that, there's something there. Uh, unfortunately, Howard, they don't. They said, well, that's an anomaly, or you're an outlier. Uh, this doesn't apply to mainstream. That's the what I still get from most medical doctors. Right. Well, and, and got of course, a ways to go. And you know, you, you and I think Doctor you know, Caldwell Esselstyn both make the point that you know, what you guys are doing is is, is radical. No, what what, <laughs> what the medical cutting people open oh. seems far more radical than uh, than eating well and exercising and dosing them with chemicals that kill mostly normal cells and the, along the way a side effect is they kill some cancer cells but they kill far more normal cells than than the cancer cells and it, it still doesn't work because you can't kill them all without killing the patient and you come very close to doing that right. and one of the other things that Dr. McDougall said that really resounded in my head was that this causes permanent damage to your immune system and, of course, what we know now is the radiation to radiate the breast also causes damage to the heart. I don't think we knew that back in the 80s. So, right. well, boy, my, did I escape the yeah, bullet. My, my, my dad developed <laughs> prostate cancer, and he was irradiated and cured of the prostate cancer, and a year later dropped out of a heart attack. Wow. Uh, so, one, you know, one can only wonder. Yeah, uh, but so he you, didn't change his diet, though, did he? No, this was in the eighties, where yeah. he, even yeah. even I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah. 
but you know, I'm, I'm curious. So you've, you know, to, in some cases, you're you're an anecdote. You're son of a, a uh, yeah. an interesting story. But you've also, through your outreach and your your, your mission, you've also become a symbol for oh, good. for for a lot of people. And I'm curious how uh-huh. how you experience that because um, I know you know in, in the book you talk about. Um, Going, you know, not, not being able to do your work on an airplane because you keep overhearing conversations and have to set oh, people straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. it's not, it's not like, you know, you're, this is, it's, it's a reluctance. You know, you have, you have made this your mission. Um, yeah. and because of your story, you know, arguably you're in a lot better position to, to convince people than McDougal or Esselstyn or me or, or almost anyone because you're, you know, you're, you're a living proof of it, and I'm wondering what that's like to to be that symbol for something a, a, a miraculous transformation, for lack of, of better words. To be honest, it doesn't feel like that at all because I live my life on a day-to-day basis. Um, I've turned into a, a missionary of sorts in that if I hear somebody saying something about diet, I'm immediately drawn in, you know. Um, Fortunately, there are more and more people now that have either, like you, uh, we can connect with what we're saying, or they've heard some, they know somebody who's vegetarian, or they've read about Linda McCartney, then they say, but she died of breast cancer. And I said, yeah, that's what dairy does to you. So it's not like um, feeling like an icon or anything. It's like I'm still drawn into these conversations and arguments. And um, sometimes I do turn people off. (laughs) It's been pointed out to me that... um, Maybe you came down too hard on somebody, or uh, they're not ready to hear the message. So it's still hard. It's. Uh, we, I think we've got a long ways to go. I have hope. One of the fun things I like to say on my Facebook when I get uh, some something from somebody, I'll I'll say, "Are we winning yet?" <laughs> you know, as a joke. Because sometimes I think we are and sometimes I think we're not, that I kind of view our civilization as um, Rome. You know, they had 500 years of civilization, 200 going up, 100 straight line, and 200 going down. I see Western civilization on that curve. I'm not sure exactly where. We're past the 200 going up. Um, I'm afraid we're a little past the 100 straight line at the top. Uh, I think we're just the beginning of the fall, and it's not just civilization. It's the whole planet. That's what really scares me. And what we're up against is is just such a formidable enemy that I don't know how we're going to win when you see all the the rainforest being cut down to raise grain for cattle or to graze cattle. It just, I don't know, it gets pretty scary. Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, after, after working on, on whole, where the theme really is, you know, holism as opposed to this, this um, militant reductionist view, 
Um, right. So I'm preparing to do some, some talks on it and trying to distinguish my own views from those of Dr. Campbell, so I'm not just going out and aping what he would say. Uh-huh. And I, I came across a quote um, by uh, the, the German thinker and poet uh, Goethe, who said, basically said that uh, nature turns mute under torture. And that kind of like put things in perspective for me that what what reductionist science and and what what human beings are trying to do to the planet is basically some form of torture or rape in that it's for our own gain without any sense of relationship without any sense of mutuality and i see exploitation yes and i see diet as kind of the center of that because it's the way we interface with with the world it's how we take in the, the world, and that's why you know I see this this shift to a plant-based diet as so crucial a step in 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 coming to this this revolution in perception in this new form of consciousness. Boy, I couldn't agree more. But in terms of mute, what what happens next? I mean, if the yeah. I was thinking it was some a science fiction novel that somebody ought to write about if we keep on this path and humans become extinct. What happens next? Kind of scary, huh? Well, <laughs> I guess well, not, not if you're a squirrel. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe evolution starts all over again and uh I don't know. Have you have you seen the the children's the animated movie Wally? No. You should go watch it, because I think that might be the, the movie you're thinking of. It's, it's a wonderful story ah. where the, the you know, Earth is uninhabitable because it's so polluted. The hum, oh. humans are in a, in a giant spaceship traveling for hundreds or thousands of years. They're so obese they can't get up from their lawn chairs. <laughs> the robots are doing everything for them. Wow. It's... Uh, you know, when I when I saw that with my kids, it really it really struck me as a not science fiction, but kind of a a linear progression if we don't change our consciousness. Yeah, where we're headed. Yeah, you see the increase in obesity, and it's not just the U.S. I've been doing a lot of traveling in the last few years. I've been very fortunate twice around the world, stopping in different places, and I'm always looking to see what people are eating and the rates of obesity whether it's China and Japan or in Canada or Costa Rica Europe all over Europe um, it, it's frightening the rates of diabetes get hitting younger and younger people now young children even and and people don't want to exercise you know Diet is extremely important. It's number one, but a close second is exercise. It doesn't do any good to get all these great nutrients in your body if you don't move them around. <laughs> if you sit too long, the blood doesn't move. It just pulls in the legs and then causes clots, and you can have a healthy heart attack, you know, or a healthy stroke. And so, anyway, I've, I've just been a big proponent of exercise starting way back. A little bit of history here. In 1968, way back in the dark ages, I read a book called Aerobics, 
written by Dr. Kenneth Cooper. And uh, that book convinced me. I put it down after reading the whole thing in one sitting and went out for a run and was hooked. thought, this is perfect, and thought it was the total answer. So for 14 years, I had been a runner and even done a bunch of marathons, daily runners. I mean, get up in the morning and put on the running shoes after the usual morning ablutions, out the door, and I had an hour's run before going to work and was so energetic and healthy, I thought, very fit, no question. Uh, so exercise is extremely important, but it is definitely number two to diet. So to kind of sum up, there are two MDs, as it turns out, who turned my life around. First, Kenneth Cooper with his aerobics and exercise, which I'm still a total believer in, running, running now 45 years, and Dr. John McDougall with the diet. And what was really interesting is, you know, if you can draw, you know, the Venn diagram is a circle of your population, Yep. You draw all the runners in the left-hand circle, and these are uh, Dr. Cooper's runners. And here's Dr. McDougall's uh, vegetarian, vegan, plant-based. And the right-hand circle, there is very little overlap, very little overlap, a little more now. And this is part of my mission. And, and I guess one reason why I feel I can do some good because I can stand right in the middle of that overlap between these two circles and say, see, <laughs> mm. this works. You can't do just one. you got to do them both. Right, and, you know, and there's probably a third circle that isn't touching either that's sort of the paleo CrossFit weightlifters. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> right? The, the runners are all carbo-loading on, on pizza and bagels. The the vegans are are sitting still, and the and the the weightlifters are, are eating everything that uh, ever had a heartbeat or a mother. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I've I've tried arguing with some of the paleo types, and I don't know. It's so frustrating, especially people. I I have in mind a a doctor in physical therapy who is so gung ho on paleo. And, uh, you know, everything I say just goes right over his his head, not in terms of, you know, not that he couldn't understand it if he tried. It's just that he discounts anything. He's been so convinced that animal protein equals human protein. I love the analogy that I came up with. I'm not sure how uh, it holds up. You have a car, right, and it's made of metal, and it runs on gasoline. So the animal protein analog would be put liquid steel into the gas tank. <laughs> and will it run? Well, no better than putting animal protein into our gas tank. Eating protein is not what makes our muscles contract. It's glycogen, which comes from, guess what, carbohydrates. And that's why I run best on an 80% high carbohydrate diet the, and there's protein in every little bit of fruit vegetable leafy greens and that's the old argument you know when people hear about my diet but where do you get your protein it's all over the plant kingdom 
same with calcium. Fortunately, my bone density is really high, and that's another area where exercise is so important. You can feed a person a very healthy, the healthiest possible diet, but put them on bed rest or out in space, they will lose bone. They will get osteopenia first and then osteoporosis. So that's one good argument for running. And people say, well, what about the impact? Isn't that bad for your joints? Well, I'm happy to let people know I've got another book, my fourth book coming out, which is Lifelong Running. Uh, my publisher, uh, Martin Rowe Lantern Books, called me and said, you know, you've been running for 45 years now. You got me hooked on running. How about writing us a book on something like lifelong running? And <laughs> it was funny. I thought, oh, gosh, running, writing is such hard work. It interferes with running and traveling and all that. And he said, well, think about it. So after we hung up, my next run, I started thinking, well, I could tell people this. I could tell them that. And it that just launched it. I thought, wow. So in September, we've got this new book on eliminating the myths about running, about the joints, how runners have healthier joints than non-runners. There is a Stanford University study showing that runners' knees have no more arthritis than non-runners. They probably couldn't find enough subjects to run an experiment on vegan runners versus regular runners to show, but we know the outcome, right? They would have less arthritis because arthritis is a diet-related disease. It's from the animal proteins causing inflammation to get in the joint from the leaky gut syndrome. I mean, it all, but when you see the big picture, it all comes together so clearly. But you've got to have all those elements, and that's what we're, you and I and a whole bunch of other people are trying to do. Well, that's that's what I find so fascinating about people like you and Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier. Ah, who, yeah. Who are, you know, in in our culture are kind of are way out in the extreme, and yet looking at you provides better truths. You know, I was, I'm, I'm looking at your book and then other things that I've read in the past week where there's just a study that, that came out that showed that jogging is basically bad for your joints. And, oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, well, for, you know, certainly people who jog would notice their bad joints sooner than people right, who sit right. in front of the TV. But that, that is only true under the standard American diet. Exactly. So, so, so Yes, there's there's truth to that study, but it's only a partial truth. You know, yep. you talk about wine and you know any kind of alcohol being a being a toxin to the human body. Well, wine is wine is good for you in in um, in, in limited amounts to prevent heart attacks under the standard American diet. Yeah, where you have heart disease and it does tend to thin the blood, and it's a case of wine treating the symptom. And if you get rid of the cause, then you don't need to treat that symptom. Right. So now I was reading also what you write about, you know, HDL and LDL cholesterol being focused on as opposed to the total cholesterol number, which and those LDL and HDL are only important when total cholesterol rises above 150. Yeah. Yep. So, to, you know, to me that's like, 
um, let's let's outfit the Titanic with really good lifeboats as yeah. opposed as opposed <laughs> to maybe make the ship seaworthy to begin with. Yeah, good like analogy. The lifeboats, you yeah. know, you're glad yeah. to have them at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, accidents do occur. There are icebergs out there even today. I've been hit while cycling twice by trucks and and thank goodness for good ambulances and emergency rooms and x-rays because accidents do occur and with good medicine and if you're fit when that accident occurs you can survive and get back to where you were before another good reason to to be fit and have a good diet you can withstand the all these little <laughs> traumas that are inevitable a lot of them caused by other people making dumb mistakes like this truck driver who's getting ready to deliver a load of kitchen cabinets and he's lost and he is looking for this street and he's driving along and and all of a sudden oh there's my street and he makes a quick left turn and I happen to be in the middle of the intersection on my bike Ouch. and you know it's maybe he had not been on the standard American diet. He might have been a little sharper, a little quicker and hitting the brakes and or might have seen me. You know, his excuse was I in court, I never even saw her. Right. So anyway, that's the little and how, side how long ago story. was that? It was nineteen ninety eight that that okay. happened and it took me uh, quite a while to recover from that, and it was told they had to put a titanium rod in my left leg because the bone was shattered so badly. Um, and I, I was told you'll never get back to running and racing again with all this damage. I said, get me in the water, get me in the water. So I started water running and was able to keep from going downhill, you know, keep from that bed rest or being on crutches and uh, obviously a wheelchair before the crutches. Because of getting in the water and started the water running, I was able to maintain that fitness while recovering from that almost fatal accident. Wow. So you're proving doctors wrong left and right, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> well, again, it comes back to the basic the diet it makes such a difference in realms that most people never even think of i think every day we learn something you know i didn't know that's why my dandruff went away for a long time <laughs> you know i just happened to notice hey gosh same with the acne these are minor things to most people but to a teenager with cystic cystic acne who is just devastated by all these pimples and here dermatologists are telling them oh it's not your diet no it's not chocolate it's not cheese it's not you know it's just plain not true but well again they can't kids. they can't get enough people like you to to be in that in that experimental group right yeah. there's there's not enough yeah. data on vegan runners on uh, plant free kids yeah, uh, but then every, you know, every every uh, decade or so, so um, a a, uh, a vegan baby dies, um, and that that gets all the headlines. Yeah, sure. And they and it's true that 
vegan can mean all kinds of things. It's got to be a healthy vegan diet, and that's why I wrote Chef, my cookbook. You know, Chef is an acronym: cheap, healthy, easy, and fat-free. Now, French fries and Coke are vegan, but they're certainly not healthy, and that's why I love eating lots of raw foods. Uh, my breakfast is raw completely. It's a big, big bowl of leafy greens, kale and watercress, two of my favorite greens, and I eat a lot of it. And then one of the fortunate things about living in Hawaii, in fact, I ran down to the farmer's market. That was the two miles down and uh, before I got caught in the rain. Anyway, two miles down, picked up a bunch of papayas, mangoes and bananas, and kale, watercress, and then ran back carrying these groceries and kept on running because it was raining. But that's my breakfast and every day. And it's not anything I get tired of because it's like probably an alcoholic looks forward to the first drink. You know, not a very good analogy, but you can understand how uh, the attraction is very strong. I love eating this way. It is not about deprivation or sacrifice. It's Wow, I wish everybody everybody else could eat this way and enjoy it as much as as I do. And I don't know how we get them to, other than, you know, like Dr. McDougall has his 10-day programs, and, and I know the T. Colin Campbell Foundation is trying to train people. If we can just get them captive long enough to say, see, it works, people, it works, you know. Right. Well, you know, and and it's it's clear that it works. The you know the worse your symptoms, the faster it'll work. So the trick oh, is yeah. to the trick is to yeah. find people who uh, you know before some symptom has become dangerous or debilitating. Yeah, and, and that's I you listen. know that's that's why I like your uh, your outlook on fitness. That. Uh, the cholesterol, I, I got to throw this story in. Uh, with my high cholesterol, Dr. McDougall said, don't worry about it. It'll come down when you change your diet. And it dropped 70 points in 17 days. And I thought, wow. So I started telling people about this. Now, again, that was 31 years ago. Last year, I heard on this medical radio, it's a call in to a doctor, an MD call in to this doctor and uh, was asked by the caller, I've heard that if you go to a strict vegetarian diet, you can lower your cholesterol and not have to take statins. And this doctor replied, well, yeah, it does work, but it takes months and months. And I'm yelling at the radio, you know, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> 17 days, you know. Right. And it I'm, keeps on going down after the 17 days. So, it, you know, yeah, in I'm, fact, I'm, people I'm say working, it's too low, but it's not. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm working with a company called Holvana, which is um, uh, um, started by Nelson Campbell, one of uh, T. Collins' sons. And, ah. and we were talking, and he says, well, we do 10-day immersions. Uh, with people, you know, providing all the food and, you know, education, support, Lectured. community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they also, they also get to meet you in uh, Forks Over Knives. Oh, good. Um, and I said, my first reaction was, well, ten, 10 days isn't enough time to get any sort of meaningful 
measurement, right? <laughs> he yeah. laughed. He said, yeah. Take yeah. a take a look at the data from our immersions. The yeah. you know, practically by day two, some of the more sensitive numbers start reversing themselves. Like the body is so damn hungry to be healthy, and it's ready. Not gonna, it's not going to waste any time. Yeah. Dr. Terry Shintani here in Hawaii is doing 10-day programs. They're not the total immersion because they don't sleep over. Mm. So these people can can cheat if they want to. But he does provide the daytime lectures and during the week because a lot of these people are working during the day. So they meet in the evening. He provides all their dinners, does the blood work, has me come lecture them about exercise and it makes a difference for diabetics. He gets them off their diabetic medication. Sometimes within two to three days, they're completely off. Most of them definitely have to, have to lower their insulin or they get into hypoglycemic shock. It is, And their, their aching joints, that goes away. They have more energy. They sleep better. So there are little pockets of of hope <laughs> springing all over. Right. It's it's funny that all, all those doctors whom I know who do that they they're not the ones with the mansions and the six beamers. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that's that's part of the disincentive. You know, how do you make any money? Like Doctor McDougall said, you know, I never see patients twice. If they do what I say, they don't need to ever come back. If they don't do what I say, they're embarrassed because they know that I would just ball them out. So (laughs) it's hard for medical doctors practicing this way to make any money. Right. I was I was just rewatching Forks Over Knives a couple days ago, and I was watching um, um, the 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 doctors taking taking somebody around. Uh, Whole Foods or, you know, showing him what to buy and thinking, boy, if my, you know, how much would I pay if I were in serious shape? You know, if I, if I had a real, real health problems and I mm-hmm. found a doctor who could give me that kind of treatment, who could, you know, with no side effects, no, no danger, just, just complete and, and utter reversal of all my disease symptoms. Like, I would think you'd want to pay th- t- tens of thousands of dollars for that guy's personal attention. As, well. as opposed to waiting till the you know you're under the knife and the surgeon comes in and the anesthesiologists come in and they they you know rake up all the big bucks. I don't think that's the way it goes. Not, <laughs> not yet. Yeah. No, people would rather go to the doctor and just just give me a pill, um, and, and make it a little blue pill Viagra so I can have some fun along the way and don't have to suffer. Um, more pills. Uh, you know, it, it's the fact that advertising misleads people so badly in terms of, you know, just look at television and listen, read magazines, the radio. There are all these supplements and uh, drugs that will cure every ill. It's tempting, you know. People would much rather do that than then have to give up their cheese or their steaks or their hot dogs, ice cream. What they don't know is there's wonderful substitutes that that are healthy and just as enjoyable. Right. That was one of the blessings for me of working for uh, for almost 14 months on the manuscript of Whole. 
Oh yeah. That it just it just sort of reinforced every single day I would come to work on it, and ah, yeah. it it just reinforced that the principal um, pr- the product of the food and health marketing industries is confusion. It's, yeah. it's it's not an accident that we're confused. That's right. Yeah, as, lo- as long as I'm confused, then I'm just going to, you know, the, one thing I learned as a marketer is the confused mind always says no. Right, so right. So we just keep doing what we're doing. I'll trust, you know, even though I don't trust doctors, I have to trust them because there's nothing better. And there's enough people... Um, Casting doubt on a plant-based lifestyle, on vigorous exercise, especially as we age, that it just seems safer to to be as sick and, and tired as everybody else. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. The confused mind always says no. That is so so true. It just oh boy, and it's so easy to create confusion in people. They can hear a good lecture like. The Vegetarian Society of Hawaii, you know, the the largest in the United States, and we have we've had Colin Campbell out to speak, and we have Dr. Terry Shintani, and and we started with a bunch of people who were left when Dr. McDougal moved to California. You know, there were eight of us who were kind of <laughs> loose ends. What are we going to do now? <laughs> so we got together and formed this group and had Dr. William Harris, who happened to have been a, a long-term ER vegan doctor um, who wrote The Scientific Basis of Vegetarianism. He gave the first lecture, and I gave the second lecture, and we and this was 1990, and we've been growing ever since. Anyway, we bring these lectures in with good information, and we've had, like... Uh, Oh gosh, uh, Janet St- Janice Stanger, and last week we had Mary Clifton. She's an MD in in Michigan. All these great lecturers, and people walk out convinced. But the next morning, you know, because the support system is not set up. In fact, the support system encourages falling back to the old way of doing things. So every month we try to jack them up again. But, you know, it's, and a lot of people never come back because they think, I could never do this. So, we, it's, I don't know where we go from here other than just to keep on trying. Right. Well, you know, one, one of the things that, that, that struck me about your story is that for, for you, that, and, and, you know, the beginning of, of the book, uh, Senior Fitness, you start out by describing the operation where they removed the golf ball sized lump from your breast mm-hmm. and you were not under anesthesia right you kind of no. wanted to see what was going on and i was like i was reading that and thinking this is like my worst nightmares like literally not, i'm not using nightmare yeah. as like yeah. a metaphor for, but, yeah. but like this is like when i <laughs> Things cut out of me, you know. I mean, that's this is like incredibly primal, and it seems like what what you went through at that point was like a total transformation. Yeah. That, that then got rolled out in terms of the way you were gonna, you know, you then you questioned everything. You you had a, yeah. a a moment where you decided you were gonna fight for your life, and at that point, you even if McDougal hadn't existed, you would have found him. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about what if. Uh, 
Yeah, I do remember them telling me it was cancer, and I'm thinking, there's no way. I run marathons, for Pete's sake. I'm as healthy, and, I mean, just look at me. I'm fit. I look 20 years younger. I was always being carded, you know. Uh. Um, and I thought, there's no way this could be cancer. There was none in my family. Um, all my my four grandparents lived to their 90s. Both mother and father were still at that point healthy, so I, I just flat rejected. And then they said, uh, "Well, we're going to do the surgery," and and because the biopsy didn't get it all, there were no clear margins. Uh, I said, "I want to watch. I want to see what this thing is." And they said, "No, you don't want to watch it. It's pretty gory." I said, "I want to see it." And so when I'm getting ready for surgery, they're putting up the screen, the sheet uh, from the neck up and I said no 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 I'm watching the search the nurse says does your doctor know this and I said you bet so um, he comes in and and I'm numbed up and I'm watching this whole thing this golf ball I kept he kept cutting deeper and deeper and deeper and I uh, you know it was just wow you talk about teaching moments and I thought boy it is cancer I'm doing something wrong it's um of course, at that point, if somebody had said diet, these doctors would have said, no, no, no. You have a good diet. You don't eat any red meat. It's just chicken and fish and low-fat dairy. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, um, boy, it had my attention. <laughs> you know, I did not want to die. All right. It sounds like that everything you then started doing from that point was almost like a different person. Like it was yeah. A- oh, yeah. And I think that may be what's missing for people who come and listen to a lecture is that, oh, you know, the, yeah. the, the ego changes from the mind state. It's, it's almost like a mutation as opposed to a transformation that they change. They'll, they'll go vegetarian for a few days, but they really haven't changed in their, in their core being, in their perspective, the way, yeah. the way you did. And w- what I yeah. love about your story is that, you know, just like any teaching story, it's much more powerful and profound than than giving reasons and facts and figures. That people who hear your story and then see you, you know, vibrant and running and and advocating this lifestyle, 31 years later, that that there's there's power in that that can that can change people's, you know, at at a very deep level. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first year after the diagnosis, people would scoff and say, or mostly I imagine they would discount it. Well, you know, it, it's cured for a while, but we know five years is the, you can't count your being cured for five years. And if you make it to five years, well, then maybe. But then I knew that five years was just a theoretical, uh, convenient time to pick. So once I made it five years, I didn't feel any sense of relief, of no recurrence of the cancer. And each year after that, I thought, here's one more year of validity, that it really does, uh, it worked. And so when I hit 10 years and then 20, and I, I dare anyone now to argue, and then with 30 years, but then I start worrying, well, you know, 30, it seems so long ago to a lot of people. But not to me, you know how every once in a while you you cough, and I think, oh, I wonder if it's that tumor in the lung. And I think, no, no, it couldn't be. 
you know, so that fear is is there. It never goes away, that, that possible recurrence. Right. So, so I have to ask you, so you, you did the research, uh, like a lot of us can do, even though you, mm-hmm. you were sort of better equipped through your, through your graduate training. You, yeah. You met Dr. McDougall, who's a very yeah. passionate, convincing guy, and yet you still had to implement it yourself. When did you know? On a on a kind of a gut level, you know, a body wisdom level, that this was working. The next morning, <laughs> <laughs> I had been constipated all my life. I mean, I had a fissure, an anal fissure, at age twenty three. It was that hard, and yet that same proctologist said, "Well." Three or four times a week is normal for some people. And I just had a feeling that that couldn't be. It, it just wasn't, there was something wrong that you, you don't have bloody stools and then have to have surgery. And so all these years of having horrible constipation but refusing to take laxatives, thank goodness, and then the next morning, I thought, wow, this is what's been missing all this time. The fiber, the plant foods, and no animal foods. So right then and there, you know, I knew if for no other reason I was going to keep eating this way. And then 17 days later, with that tremendous drop in my cholesterol, I thought, wow, you know, it works for that too. And, you know, it was just one revelation after another. And then the hot spots and the bone scans started fading within two weeks. Uh, I thought, wow, you know, there's, how come the whole world doesn't know this? And then I started getting mad, you know. <laughs> there's, people need to be told this. And then I found out, well, you can tell them, and it still doesn't work. You know, <laughs> my ex-husband is still, I'm surprised he's still alive, but... Anyway, uh, still not convinced. Isn't that incredible? Mm. It's, and it the, the argument like... of of ED, we're getting really personal here. He had those problems, and I said, it's the diet and it's the pills for your high blood pressure. Oh, that BS is his response to everything. I finally couldn't take it anymore, and I, I had to <laughs> leave, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's. Uh, it seems like there's there's the chasm in understanding this is much oh, deeper boy. than than facts. It's not. Yeah. It's not fact based. Yeah. You see, so many intelligent, curious, open minded people, but when it comes to what goes on their plates and on their forks, all of a sudden the rational discussion ceases. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, so one one other thing I wanted to touch on, and I know you've been very generous with your time, so I don't want to take too much more of it. But you 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 write about the importance of uh, as we age, um, the cultural views on aging and views on seniors, on elders, whether they're mm-hmm. you know old people, senior citizens, or warehouse, yeah, or elders. And I know that you know John Robbins has done a lot of work on. Finding the healthiest, you know, people in the world, the, the societies where most people live to a hundred in, yep. in vigor. And, uh, you know, it, it occurs to me that, that you're, you're almost single-handedly. Obviously, you know, there's lots of others, but, but you're, 
you've taken on the the task of of kind of slapping our culture in the face a little bit and saying this is what aging can be. Yes. Um you know, where most people as they age, in fact, I was kidding my baby brother uh, who just turned 73 on the 22nd just a couple of days ago, and I said, uh, what are you now, Don? 73. He said, 39. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, everybody I know does not want to add another year. They they want to either lie about their age or or just not discuss it. Whereas I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> I'm 78. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I love the double takes, even with MDs that, that I see when I go for a checkup or just, you know, blood work. Because I do like to make, watch, monitor what's happening with, with everything. And it's, it's so much fun getting older uh, in a perverse way. I can hardly wait till I hit 80 because I'm going to show people this is what you can do at 80. I just hope it works. And I I know I I find myself lying a little bit (laughs) too, where uh, I was playing sports over the weekend and uh, I was, you know, I was getting a little winded. It was a very hot day and we didn't have many subs. And I, you know, I kind of made the excuse. I said, you know, I, I am 48. And I'm, I'm actually you know, as if that's old. I'm only I'm actually four, 47 and 10 months. But I but I wanted to I wanted to say 48. I could feel my my like a little bit of vanity. Or almost 50. Yeah. So Give the, me know, some this, mercy, pity. At, at, at this point, I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, the older I, the older my my number, the better I look. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is that stereotype of uh, in this culture, not respecting our elders, and quite just the opposite. We disrespect, especially older women. There, there's a lot of sexism that still exists. Uh, older women, that one quarter of society, you've got young and old, male and female, and that quarter of older females tends to. To be, you know, the, the myths about menopause and how hot flashes and, and how degrading that all is. Well, menopause, you know, we could open up a whole new chapter, which we haven't touched on. There's no reason for all of these symptoms. It is diet and lack of exercise. But anyway, that's part of growing older that people need to know more about. Mm. And... You know, and I think it's a it's a two way street there. That because of the ignorance around diet and exercise, we have especially women, um, you know, aging in a way that makes what you do seem inaccessible, and that feeds into the stereotype of oh, yeah. of, uh, yep. of feebleness, uh, yep. and you know, to the point of almost irrelevance. Yeah. You know, where I, I, I feel like a society that does not uh, honor, you know, croning or crowning, you know, where, no. where uh, you know, gosh, you know, you, know, you, know, you know a lot more than I do about so many important things that I will never learn from a book, that I can only learn in, in my experience of you, whether it's this phone call or if I hope someday we, we meet in person. If you, by the way, if you ever want to invite me down to Hawaii to give a talk, I, yeah. <laughs> I will be on the plane so fast I'll have to 
FedEx my bags. Okay, uh, we'll work on that. But uh, you know the 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 life interactions with with people who have been through life, you know, stages of life that I don't have any experience with, and yeah, and, yeah. and the, the tragedy that most of them are warehoused and their their wisdom is inaccessible to me feels feels like a huge loss. Yeah, and with dementia, it's slowly becoming inaccessible to them as well. That's why I got a lot out of Neil Barnard's book, The Power Power Foods for the Brain. That's an excellent book too. Mm. Yeah, it seems like there's there's could be dozens of books out there called Power Foods for, and you could put in just about yeah. every body part yeah. of disease, <laughs> and it'd be the same damn book. Yeah, same damn foods. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Well, Dr. Ruth Heydrich, mm. I am so thrilled to have had this time to talk with you. I want to thank you so much for taking the time and I just I just know that people are going to be so inspired and moved and feel supported by your story. And if if they want more of you, how do they get it? Well, I have a website which is ruthheydrich.com, R U T H H E I D R I C H. And I have an Ask Dr. Ruth button you can push. And uh, apparently when you Google, anybody Googles, and they come up with a Dr. Ruth, they're looking for the other Dr. Ruth. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> and so I get all these queries from people. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I, I don't dare tell you some of the questions I get, but they are... Uh, so sad in many ways and funny in others. So I do get to reach an audience that is not part of the choir here. Um, I don't, unfortunately, like Dr. McDougall, I don't hear much back from them because they think, oh, my ED has nothing to do with diet. Mm. <laughs> you know? But anyway, I have an Ask, Ask Dr. Ruth question button, at which uh, <laughs> I do spend a lot of time answering questions. So I have a lot of fun with that. Plus, uh, a lot of information in my books that I can't get through on email alone. So that's that's how you do it. Well, I wonder. I wonder if Ruth Westheimer gets questions about vitamin B12. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that would be good. Well, well so the the. The do- the other Dr. Ruth, the one who can cure your ED, it's wonderful to talk with you. You're the author of A Race for Life, The Chef, let me see if I can remember, Cheap, Healthy, Easy, and Fat-Free, Yep. Cookbook, yeah, Cook and Raw Book, yep. Senior Fitness, and your new book coming out soon, Lifelong Running, Eliminating the 11 Myths of Running and Living a Healthier Life. Yes. Um, thank you so much. It's been a, a huge honor to talk with you today. And thank you, Howard, for what you're doing. We all need to work on this together. So thank you for this opportunity. Right on.